Hello there, how are you all? Welcome to Defiance. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got an interview with Lynn Albrecht, the mother of Ross Albrecht, the creator of the now infamous Darknet marketplace, The Silk Road. Ross is currently in prison. He was sentenced to a double life sentence plus 40 years with no chance of parole. His only chance of release now is a presidential pardon. Now, I've got very close to Lynn over the last couple of years. I twice interviewed her for my other show, What Bitcoin Did, and I also released the Railroad docuseries about Ross's case via my podcast, I would recommend checking out all of these. They are all linked in the show notes. But yes, I've got to know Lim very well, and I'm very close to the case, so this is quite a personal one for me. But before we get into the interview, I do need to thank my sponsor, Kraken, the best place to buy Bitcoin. Consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange, Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin. Are you a Bitcoiner? If not, and you would like to learn more about Bitcoin, then please do check out my other show, What Bitcoin Did, which Kraken also sponsors. Bitcoin is a decentralized peer-to-peer digital currency without any central authority. By not having any controlling party required to validate transactions, Bitcoin is both trustless and permissionless. It is an opt-out of government fuckery. And as Edward Snowden said, Bitcoin is freedom. Find out more at kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Also, if you are enjoying Defiance and you want to support the show, there's a number of things you can do. You can leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe to the show. You can follow me on social media at Peter McCormack and you can share it out with your friends and family. The reason why we fight is to draw attention to issues and to fix it. Resilient. Resolute. Defiant in the face of impossible odds. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money. Hundreds of protesters turned out singing Glory to Hong Kong, an anthem of defiance. When this all happened, I had faith in our system. I had faith in the justice system. I went into the trial thinking, of course, it'll be fair that Ross will be treated fairly, and it's all going to work out fairly. And I got to learn up close and personal how wrong I was. And what I've learned through the past six years of being thrust into activism and taking up the challenge is that I believe we are at the tipping point in history. We are at a crossroads and we can either go towards more innovation and freedom and free choice, or we're going to have to take the crossroad of surveillance state, government control and suppression. And It's time to decide and do something about it for our own futures as well as the future of our children. So that's how I see it. Good morning, Ling. Nice to see you again. Great to see you, Peter, as always. So we two years in, I think it's, because I should remember your birthday. Is it April? It's March. March, that's it. And so is Ross. Ross is the day after me. (laughs) Well, so we did our first, very first interview on his birthday. Right. Do you remember? Yes. Oh, yes. I remember in Austin. In Austin, yeah. Mm -hmm. My first trip to Austin. And I've interviewed you twice. You brought me flowers. It was very nice. Yeah. You never let me forget that. (laughs) But we've done two interviews, but we've probably met up five or six times. Got to know you quite well. I I consider you a friend now as well as someone I I work with. But as you are aware, I have a new show now called Defiance, which Mm -hmm. is more about activism. There is no story that I would rather tell on the show than this. It's probably... Probably the most important thing I've reported on, if you call it reporting, but if I've reported on in the last couple of years, and you know, people always ask me about my favorite interviews, and I always refer back to the first one we did because that interview took me from being this hobby podcaster to realizing I'm going to cover important stories. I took that one very important, that was very important to me. So, 
I want now to tell this story to another audience, which I hope will eventually be quite a significant audience and they can all understand and hear about the story of Ross. So we'll touch on a number of things we've touched before because some people won't know the story. But anyway, so firstly, I should ask, how is Ross? Well, Ross is hanging in there. He's a very strong uh, person. He wrote an essay called Five Keys to Inner Strength I Learned in Five Years in Prison. I recommend reading it. It's very helpful. It's been helpful to me. And he applies that. At the same time, I won't deny that this is incredibly challenging. He's often extremely bored. He's often very frustrated because he's kind of cut off. And it's tough. So overall, Ross is hanging in there. He's still himself. He hasn't lost his sense of humor. He hasn't lost his personality. I think that sometimes happens in prison after a long time. But, you know, it's tough. Okay. And we should start from the outset so people understand the context of this, that Ross currently faces the rest of his life in prison. He was, his punishment was a double life sentence plus 40 years. Without parole. Without parole. No possibility of parole, which no one in the federal system has. Mm -hmm. They took away parole in the 80s. So that puts the context of why... I'm asking how Ross is, how has he been, but also I do want to ask how you are as well because the way I see it for you, you are, it's not the same as Ross, but you have your own sentence now because whilst he is on the inside, there is a wall between you. This is your son and you're on the outside, but it's your own sentence that you are also living with this. Is that a fair thing to say? Absolutely. I think anyone who has a loved one in prison is also doing time. There's no doubt. Absolutely. I have my cause to get him out and I won't give up. But yeah, it is. I'm hoping it's not a life sentence for me too. Well, we hope we hope not. And you know, you will always have my support to do everything I can to help. And another thing just to add into the backstory, so anyone who doesn't know this, the, the very strange backstory of this, we're going to talk about a website called The Silk Road. Um, I have a Bitcoin show, which you've been on twice. It was the Silk Road, which was why I discovered Bitcoin. I was previously a a drug addict. I used to use the Silk Road to purchase drugs. And for me, it was was actually in some ways very helpful for buying a better quality of drug. But the most important thing is when I was in the depths of my addiction, there were very helpful uh, forums on there for me that were very supportive. So to come full circle, to actually meet you and talk to you, there's a lot of context in this for me. And to add to that, when my mum was sick and we wanted to buy her cannabis oil, it was the innovation of a dark market that allowed us to buy something for the treatment of her cancer, which was deemed illegal. So it's a very important story. But we're going we're gonna to tell the backstory and then we're going to talk about the legal process and then we'll talk about what the hopes are for the future and how people can potentially help. So Let me just say about uh, that uh, mm-hmm. real quick is that I was told by uh, Kevin McKiernan, who works with cannabis medical research that many people on Silk Road when it was taken down were getting CBD for their children's life-threatening seizures and that put them the children in danger they were extremely distraught and you know they had to either move to Colorado or you know do something drastic that is never discussed in the media ever of course mm-hmm. but similar to your mom well it, i guess the problem with that is people look for the glamour side something i've been very critical of nick bilton about who and I refer to his book as a novel because That's right it's fiction. It's fiction because he's written something which is even with the the title American Kingpin it's used to glamorize it and people are essentially essentially it's headline grabbing and let's refer to what it is it's clickbait. Exactly. But the important stories are hid in the background. There's a similar problem we have in the UK cuz 
cannabis is still illegal. There are very limited cases in terms of medical support, but there have been cases of parents who have gone to Holland to purchase cannabis for the treatments of their children. I remember one specific story of a young boy who was had a very severe form of epilepsy, and the cannabis oil treats that. Exactly. And, but that was taken at the airport and a very distressful situation. Now, I think that one was overturned and they are allowing him, but it's still a very... It's an isolated case. And what we're talking about here is the individual freedom to make choices for your own body and for your own life. And this is how I see Ross as a a libertarian, as somebody who supports freedom and free choice, not as this mastermind criminal that he's been painted. Absolutely. So we we should... Let's do the backstory. I think probably a fair starting point if you can start at the point that you first became aware, because I think that helps put the context of the story together, when you were first aware Ross had been arrested and how you became aware of what's actually been happening. Okay. I would like to talk about his motivations as well, but we can do that too. We found out about it from a call from Reuters. A Reuters reporter called our house and and told us that Ross had been arrested. They told us about this murder for hire smear that has now been, you know, not even charged. And my life has never been the same since that phone call. I turn on the TV and George Stephanopoulos is going, well, Ross Ulbricht, the person who created Silk Road. I'm like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) You know, and then I'm like... Don't we have trials where you're innocent until proven guilty? Apparently, that is a very antiquated notion. And then emails started pouring in, phone calls started pouring in, media was driving by our house, filming our house. Our neighbors were freaking out. They're knocking on our door. I mean, it it was like a siege. And I just lay, that's when I became an activist, really. It was the next day, really, because I was lying in bed, you know, going, this is not who Ross is. I've got to speak out. And so with the help of a high school friend of his, we just put up a one-page little web thing saying, Ross is this, Ross is this, Ross is not this, Ross is not this. And that was my first speaking out about it, and it's grown to a movement that has almost a quarter of a million petition signers and a lot of support for clemency for him. Well, so we we should go back a step still. So some people won't actually know what the Silk Road is. Mm-hmm. So do you want sure. to talk about what the talk about what the Silk Road is? Right. Was, sorry, was because it's no yeah. longer available. Right. Um, well, um, of course, at the time I didn't know, but it was Ross conceived of this because he was a libertarian on fire for freedom, brought you know Ron Paul supporter, student of Austrian economics, and wanted people to have a experience of a free market, a truly free market in privacy where they were free to have that. He invented or created a video game to that end, didn't work out, went to the internet and created this website. And that was his motivation. It was product agnostic. It didn't, whatever was sold on there didn't matter to him. It was, you know, he didn't do it to be a drug kingpin. It's absurd. I mean, when he was arrested, he was living with three roommates in a flat, didn't own a car. You know, it's like, really? He's a kingpin? But the site was is a free market, but not totally, because it was based on the non-aggression principle of voluntary interaction. And so that meant that nothing could be sold or exchanged there that harmed a third party. So, for example, there was no child pornography or anything related to pedophilia allowed, no weapons, no, you know, stolen property. And this is all in the government's own evidence that was exhibited at trial. I mean, there's no question about it. 
You wouldn't know that from a lot of the media, by the way, as, as you say, clickbait. Much more exciting to talk about things that were not, not even on there than, you know, well, yeah, there was raw milk and there was books and there was electronics and there was, you know, it was an eBay that was a private eBay. Kind well, of. I've had to regularly fight back against lies on Twitter. I'm regularly... I know, uh, you've really supported us on that. Well, I really appreciate it. Well, I, um, I'm, I really don't appreciate people like David Gerard, who, another person who also tried to profit off continuing lies. But often... I don't even know who that is. Uh, he wrote a book, Attack of the 50-Foot Blockchain. But there's, oh. um, there's a, two consistent things whenever I will put out a free mm-hmm. Ross or try and keep keep it in the kind of public eye is that, mm-hmm. oh, well, he labeled child porn and uh, murder of a high of which both, you know, regularly have to debunk. But one of the other interesting things is to point out to people is like the ability to buy drugs is obviously a headline grabber, but people will miss things like, for example, you could buy a Bible on there. And I didn't know that. I thought you told me that. That's funny. Well, my memory is such that I could have forgotten it. Well, but you could say, for example, buy a Bible on there. And books, there was a big section on books Oh, definitely. As well. Books, electronics, art, clothing. The point being is you could buy anything you wanted with a voluntary arrangement. Correct. And that was Ross's goal. It was a, a kind of a libertarian mm-hmm. freedom website. But also it had lots of useful information on there. Let me just say about the drugs, too, because the Carnegie Mellon did a study and the most commonly exchanged drug was user amounts of cannabis. Interesting. You'd wow. never know that from the, um, the prosecution or the trial or the uh, media either. And harder drugs were much fewer. In some ways, though, it doesn't really matter. No, it's your choice. Yeah, it's your choice. And, mm-hmm. and that's one of the most interesting things. And as I say, the, one of the reasons I'm such an advocate supporter of yourself and your campaign is because as my mother was dying we wanted to give her mm-hmm. a cannabis treatment there was no way we can get it because it was illegal outrageous. and this allows us to bypass what we see as poor government rules and when it's your mother dying you, you just you don't care okay well really why how does a bureaucrat in washington or you know what you know get to say what these parents of children with life-threatening seizures get to do for example i mean really this is this is not this isn't right. Well, and the funny thing is, we're now seeing the world slowly wake up to this. I mean, most states have either legalized or de- decriminalized cannabis, and the world has not collapsed. Mm-hmm. Cities haven't uh, collapsed into anarchy. There may be a slight smell of cannabis in the air, but we do not have anarchy from this. And actually, it's probably been good for the government because of the tax revenues. As well, I saw. Well, Colorado's um, not going to make it uh, illegal. They they fight that tooth and nail. They well, get a lot of revenue. They're looking to go a step further, I think, and also I think. So was Ivan or something? Uh, mushrooms, I think, is mm-hmm. the next thing they're campaigning for. And I'm also aware that tr- there are trials now for the use of MDMA for treating PTSD. PTSD for war veterans. I've I've read about that. Mm-hmm. So we're clearly mm-hmm. seeing a shift in society whereby. Uh, I mean, politicians are in a difficult position because there's still a stigma around drugs. But we are seeing a shift in society where people are realizing that actually we should not demonize all drugs and actually there can be a benefit to people. So it's therefore unusual because we have people, we do still have people imprisoned, right, for (laughs) cannabis crimes. Absolutely. A friend of Ross in Florence, where he was before, is doing life for marijuana because it's his third strike in Colorado where it's legal because it's a federal case. And I I just want to say about the drug war, because, yes, I can understand concern about drugs, and and I I personally do believe it's a choice, 
But the point is, the drug war doesn't work at all. Nope. It hasn't stopped people from using drugs. They can't even keep drugs out of the prison. So what are we going to do? Just keep building more and more prisons and um, packing people in there, uh, nonviolent drug offenders who now are over 60% of the population of the prisons. It's such a uh, monster that is metastasizing and creating, well, it's 800% growth in prison population since the 80s, I believe, and it's 800% more people. If the prison population were a state, it would be bigger than 11 U.S. states. That's unbelievable. It is. Well, the war on drugs has failed. Totally. We, we know from history... Well, it's made them a lot of money. Yes, yes. A lot. <laughs> okay. But, but, the war but it's on... failed to stop drug use, yes. And history teaches has, has taught us that prohibition fails in almost, every, in, every, mm-hmm. in almost every case. But... Let's just let's keep with the story. So, so you obviously became aware. You first obviously got to see Ross to find out, and you had to. I guess you had to go through a process of kind of comprehending what this all was, coming to terms with it, and then coming to your own conclusions. So, and I assume that was a journey for you and your family to just to even just get your head around it all. Oh yeah, it was kind of like I don't you know if you well you have had someone die that's mm-hmm. close to you. It's kind of like you go to sleep. And then you wake up and you aren't quite remembering the, this awful reality that's just suddenly happened. And then you remember. It was like that. I would wake up and go, oh, my God, Ross has been <laughs> arrested in this high-profile situation. I mean, I, like, And then I'd have to think, how can this be? You know, so it takes an adjustment. That I don't now. You know, it's been over six years. And so Ross was arrested. And if we move to the uh, original trial... That remind me, was that in New York? Yes, it was in New York. Yeah, and he was for brought to New York. Uh, he was arrested and lived in California. Mm-hmm. He had no connection to New York whatsoever. But I've been told if the Southern District of New York wants something, they get it. And he got, you could say, extradited to New York City. And mm-hmm. is is the reason New York is able to do this? Is there would have been users of the website who were from New York. Their reasoning was, and they brought in a guy who was an admitted junkie who claimed that he bought heroin on Silk Road and sold it in New York. He perjured himself at least three times during his testimony. And, you know, but they can always get somebody to say what they want. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they, they reward them. That's what informants are for which is another whole thing we could someday talk about how bad that is because the incentive, of course, is to say whatever they want so you get your benefit. Okay. So it went to trial. Yes. Let's talk about the trial itself. So there's a few key components to it, and you'll remember it better than I will because there's, there's yes, so it's much to it. it's emblazoned on my mind for the rest of my life. Yeah, well, there's a, so much to it. It's, it's yeah. actually a very complicated case because of the amount of details to it. Mm-hmm. But there, he was originally charged with, was it five charges? I think it might have been seven, but they were took. They were some of them were redundant, which is what the government does. They pile it on to make it sound worse than it is. So once he was, by the time he was sentenced, it was fewer charges, but I think it was seven. So, wire fraud, money laundering. Uh, let's see, uh, trafficking narcotics on the internet. Mm-hmm. They threw on the kingpin charge very last minute as a pressure thing, 
It wasn't originally one of the charges because, of course, it's absurd. Well, explain and, the Kimping charge so people don't understand. That's that's usually re- reserved for the likes of El Chapo. Right, who, by the way, got half the sentence Ross did. Which is still unbelievable. 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 Yeah. But it has its own life sentence. That's why it's double life. And to call a website host or creator a kingpin, especially one that believes in voluntary and interaction and the non-aggression principle is obviously a ploy on the part of the government and really wrong, you know, but they do so much that's like that. So let's see. And then there was hacking. Not that he hacked. This was all basically conspiracy, except for the kingpin charge. It was all conspiracy to do these things by having a platform where other people did it. And they use the conspiracy laws to put lots of people in prison that haven't actually even done the deed. But in any case, in Ross's case, he didn't. He did. They're not accusing him of hacking. There was software that could be used as hacking on the uh, site. It was never proven to have been used for anything from Silk Road for hacking, but they threw that on there. Same with money laundering. I think it was for exchanging fiat money for Bitcoin and so on. And then there was fake IDs, same thing, conspiracy, never proven, just that there were, I guess, someone selling them on there. And um, I don't know, I'm probably forgetting some. Well, I mean, you know, it's just like... Well, I'll list them all on the website, okay. the show notes. Yeah. And I'll also include the Railroaded series, which I do That's recommend great. people Absolutely. do check out. But Judge Forrest, who we obviously detest, <laughs> the, the, the judge for the case also threw in the murder for hire charges. At sentencing. That's, uh, that was at sentencing. Yeah, she allowed the prosecution to discuss it to mm-hmm. the jury. They said, now listen, we're not charging him for this and no murders happened and we're not asking you to rule on it, but just trust us, he did this, he did this. He's part of this anonymous chat that was never attributed to Ross and never proven to be. And this is outrageous to prejudice the jury this way. She allowed it. So, yeah, but it's right in the transcripts. They said, you know, and of course no one was murdered. I, I, I see people go, he murdered people. He's in for murder. I'm like, who got murdered? Well, and the state of Maryland dropped the charges conveniently after the Supreme Court's decision. Yep. But also, and that was all based on the corrupt agents. Yes. Material, but anyway. And we'll come to that. Yeah. And I also spoke to Curtis Green. Oh, you did? Good. Yeah, I spoke to Curtis. So people, we should make people aware he was an administrator. He was a top-level administrator, yeah. But he he does not believe that Ross nope. was involved in any murder for hire. No, and he looks forward to when Ross gets out and they can hang out and talk. And, well, we all and look, his wife supports that too. We all I mean, but yeah, that. but you weren't an alleged victim of this person. Yeah, It's mm. kind of unusual for someone that's supposedly a target of murder for hire to want that person... So it's a it's a it's a huge broad set of charges. It's very obviously yeah, very scary. Very heavy duty. Yeah. Was there a plea offer? All right, that gets sort of slightly complicated too. And and I have you know it's a question of well should was Ross ill advised? The initial plea was ten years, but the prosecution would recommend life. So Ross's lawyer said, well, there's no ceiling here. It's not like 10 years or you have a maximum. There's no maximum. So he said, don't do it. So then the prosecution came back and said, "Um, well, if you won't do it, we're going to add kingpin charge. That's when they added the kingpin charge to add the pressure. That has a 20-year mandatory minimum as opposed to 10, and we're still going to recommend life. And his lawyer still said, no, we need to go to trial. And now I really question that that was wise because when in our country now, it shouldn't be this way. If you go to trial, 
you will pay a penalty. You will get a much, much harsher treatment than if you plea. And that's why 98% of people plea, even to things they didn't do. Curtis says he pled to things he didn't do. Well, I've, I've seen quite a few now true crime slash incarceration type documentaries. And I've seen people confess and accept plea bargains for things they've not committed to mm-hmm. because of the fear of mm-hmm. the full trial and what ha- what happen if they lose. And they probably will lose. And, you know, top prosecutors bully them and threaten them. They threaten Curtis's family. So I guess you believe even the process now needs reform. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> okay. They're hijacking our freedom. They're hijacking our whole, everything that's good about our country. This is wrong. So... I asked you this question the first time I met you, and I'm going to ask it now because other Mm -hmm. people might not have heard that interview. And I think it's a fair question, but I'm a big supporter of Ross. I'm a big supporter of freedom and what he did. But at the same time, we, we live in a society. We have a construct and we have laws. Do you believe Ross should have received a punishment? And do you believe he should have been convicted of something? You know, yes, we have laws. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with him and many, many, many others is that I don't think nonviolent people need to be in in a cage. Mm -hmm. We have, and as Ross said, it's kind of old-fashioned. It's the dungeon model, right? It's like we could save tons of money, put an ankle bracelet on someone, have them be, you know, and do, how about do restitution? How about do community service? If, If someone steals my car, I would way rather have them have to buy me another car than pay my taxes to go put them in a cage. So I'm generally opposed to nonviolent people being in prison. You know, one thing I can say unequivocally is that, and this is the Sentencing Reform Act, it says a sentence should be sufficient but no longer than necessary. That has been accomplished with Ross. There is no way in hell that he will come out and create another Silk Road or come anywhere close to breaking the law, you know, and uh, it's done. But our system's not really about correction. They say it's correctional. That is ridiculous. It's about punishment and retribute, you know, retribution, revenge. It's a vengeance system, and it's very bad. I think many of us have agreed, or people I've spoken to have said, I think time served now oh, is God, clearly yes. enough. Uh, yeah. Enough, and I think that's yes. many of us have said that. And I also, so it's his youth. I mean, it's his thirties. It's like yeah. he he was twenty six when he did this, very mm-hmm. young, and it's his thirties, or at least half his thirties and part of his twenties. That's a you know that get that lesson gets through. And there's a tweet from Mike Novogratz. I don't know if you know Mike. He's um. He's a money guy from New York. Um, but he, he put out a very interesting tweet once with regard to Ross, and it, it's always stuck with me. He said, nobody is being served by keeping this young man in prison. And I'm with you. I mean, I, I don't know Ross personally. He did write to me that time. But my expectation is that if he was to come out from prison, I guess he would he would possibly be an activist, certainly be an educator, and he would take his lessons to create a better world. Absolutely. That's what he wants to do. He, he wants, now that he's learned what he's learned, he wants to work for criminal justice reform. But also he would be love to be talking to you, for example, about Bitcoin and, and all these ideas. He's, he's constantly coming up with ideas. And he's thwarted a lot because he's cut off and he doesn't have even a keyboard. 
he's he's a smart guy. He's got a lot to contribute. Well, again, I'm I'm going to ask you about that as well. Mm-hmm. So, I just want to give people a kind of summary of what happened. So, obviously, he was sentenced. He, right. You know, Horrible. He was found guilty. Yeah. Uh, as you said. Judge Forrest brought up the murder of a higher She justified her sentence with it, even though yes. it was never ruled on by a jury, which yes. is a violation of the Sixth Amendment of Constitution. And so how many appeals did you have? Well, we had the initial appeal in the um, Second Circuit, which includes New York, and it took place in New York, and they uh, turned it down. And then, although the, the judges did say, well, we might not have given this sentence. I don't think they liked the sentence, but their point was, well, it's in her discretion. And it shouldn't be in a judge's discretion to destroy someone's life totally under these kind of charges, in my opinion. But, you know, they go, well, you got to change the law. I'm like, okay. So then we went to the Supreme Court. And that was over, once you get to that level, it's more um, big issues. It's not so much the details of the case. Fourth and Sixth Amendment. Correct. Yes. Which was the access to his files? Well, okay, the Fourth Amendment was that without a warrant, without probable cause, no oversight, the government still, because of the way they ruled, can, or they didn't take the case, can go into any of our internet activity and take whatever they want in secret and use it against anyone they want. Uh, They can blackmail anybody they want. You know, and this is relevant information. You know, it's our sexual orientation, our political views, our religious beliefs, um, our medical records, all kinds of things. And it's all based on this doctrine called the third party doctrine, which is now almost four decades old, the ruling, mm-hmm. based on the dial telephone, which said, oh, you can, the government can get the phone number of something you've dialed, just the number, no other information. And that's okay without a warrant. And it has morphed into this free for all on their part, and they don't have to get a warrant. So they didn't get a warrant. It's uh, So that was argued. But also, not only the Internet, they searched his router, his private router. That's not under the third-party doctrine, but okay. And then they also directed a directional antenna at his home and tracked him within his house, room to room, without a warrant. And they could be doing it to us right now. No problem. No oversight whatsoever. This is because the courts and the laws are not keeping up with the digital age. And so they're grappling with it. A lot of the people making these laws and judges are older people who don't have a real concept of what's going on in the digital world. And I feel like it's a real door for them to expand their power to take away our freedom. Well, so one of the things I've noticed spending a lot of time coming back and forth to the States and um, I actually read the Constitution last night. Wow. Well, not all of it. I've read the amendments themselves. The just amendments as, are the yeah. best part. Yeah, yeah but it, it's a very in- interesting constitution. It does feel at times a little bit out of date, but at the same time, the baseline of freedom and no overreach from the government is very, very interesting. But what it feels like is that the constitution itself now is constantly be under attack. Totally. It's being shredded. Mm. I mean, and the drug war is part of that because there's a drug exception where if it's a drug case... The courts will be like, oh, well, that's a drug exception. Uh, we don't need to worry about the Bill of Rights. So let's One other part we should talk about with regards to the case, and, and then we'll move on from this. because I, I, I Can I, I say something really quick course, about the course. Sixth Amendment in yes. front of the Supreme Court? So one of, the reason the Sixth Amendment was written was to protect 
uh, the accused from rogue judges, rogue prosecutors, for bypassing a jury and saying, well, I don't care if it was in front of a jury. I don't even care if he was acquitted or it wasn't charged, like in Ross's case. I think it's true, and I'm going to sentence based on this. This is an absolute outrage and a violation of one of our most basic rights to have a jury trial, and Judge Forrest did that. Why do you think Judge Forrest was able to get away with this? Get away? Uh, I think judges and courts are getting away with all kinds of outrages all the time. Right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we tried, we fought it, and the Supreme Court didn't seem to care. Actually, the Sixth Amendment issue is something Judge Scalia, before he died, was very concerned about. He goes, our Sixth Amendment is being ignored or shredded, and he wrote about it. So it's not a new thing, and it happens all the time, where judges just take matters into their own hands past a jury. So, you know, it's like jury trials, jury, any of this is going, you know, it's so antiquated and quaint, you know, but it it is one of our fundamental rights. So the last thing I want to ask you about, because I, 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 I will encourage people who have an interest in this to go and listen to our first interview, because we go into a lot of detail about the case, and I do I will encourage them to listen to Railroading and our second interview where we talk about the Supreme Court's decision, because we go into a lot more detail about that. I'd rather focus on the future in this interview. But the other thing I think we should cover is the role of the rogue agents and what happened there. Okay. Well, the main point about them is that there are these two corrupt federal agents who are not allowed to be known to the jury. The fact that the jury knew nothing about them is the real key here. But, uh, yes, there were two um, agents. One was DEA, Karl Mark Force. The other was a Secret Service agent also working for the NSA. And they were at the core of the investigation. And they, through a back door, got access to the site. They had an unfettered access. They could... They could act as Dread Pirate Roberts, the main administrator that Ross supposedly was the only one. They could act as DP, called DPR. They could act as DPR, many other aliases. They had passwords, keys. They could change content in the Silk Road Marketplace and the forums to say whatever they wanted on there. This was all used as evidence to the jury. And they had the ability. I don't have the proof they did it, but they could. And they also used it to steal money from different accounts on the site. They were stealing Bitcoin. Bitcoin, yeah. Mm. And, oh, but a lot, a mm. lot of yes. Bitcoin, right? And they are in prison now. One's serving six years, one's serving eight or something like that. And they admitted to undermining the investigation and all that. And this was not permitted to be known to the jury. And one of the most important facts in all of this is that the website was accessed by an administrator whilst Ross was in jail. Yes. Well, yeah, there's so tons of actual evidence, anecdotal evidence that Ross was not the only operator of this site at all. And while he was in jail, actually solitary, someone using the DPR account logged into the forum. Okay. So, again... This was I, discovered after trial, though. Yes, of so, course. Mm -hmm. Well, so much was. Yes. You know, I remember reading about the metadata. I remember reading lots of things. And there's lots of concerning things about the case, and it's very complicated. It is and complicated. And we can go into a lot of detail, but... We, we can't now undo that past. So let's talk about what are the remaining legal avenues for Ross? Well, there's two, only two things left. One is called a habeas petition, which is actually a civil case. It's not even a criminal case. And that is in process. And that is basically you can go back to the court in New York again and say we didn't get effective assistance of counsel. The counsel was ineffective. And in this case, he should have advised Ross to plea. That's the bottom line of that, that Ross would not probably 
be serving a, a life sentence if he had, because he'd probably be serving a long sentence, but that's different than your whole entire life that you're going to die in there. That's a top, that gives you a, an end goal. Yeah, and you know you can continue to try to get, make that mitigate that, but double life plus forty years. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, the other way is a, a clemency a commutation of the sentence, preferably to time served, from the president of the United States. And so we're working very hard to get the president's attention on this through networking, through people who maybe can help, through putting together a clemency package to present when we can. And, you know, me speaking out as much as possible and uh, also now having supporters show up at President Trump's rallies with signs and talking to the media and saying, because I want him to realize there is a movement here that he should pay attention to, that it's an important thing. And it sets a terrible precedent also, Ross's sentence. But, and, you know, we have this petition, which I encourage everyone to please sign it. Go to freeross.org and sign this petition. All you have to do to sign the petition is think this is, sentence is wrong. That's all we're asking. We're not saying Ross did nothing wrong. He's not saying he did nothing wrong. We're not saying anything except this is a ridiculous sentence. That's really a dangerous sentence for all of us. But in any case, it has almost a quarter of a million signatures now. Mm-hmm. And so we want him to be aware of that. But so now we have a we have a group actually today in Florida. A thrust of it is coming from the Bitcoin Center in Miami. Great bunch of people. Uh, if you're ever in Miami, please look them up. They're total supporters, as are most blockchain and crypto people. I mean, at least the ones I meet. I'm sure there are exceptions, but and they're gonna go as a group with a with video crew and signs and so please meet them. Well this is probably going to ha- happen later, but I'm, I'm working on literally a nationwide campaign trying to get different people. So if, please, if you want to help me with this in your state, please get a hold of me. You can get, uh, there's a footer. Every page on freeross.org has a way to contact me. So they reached out to me because I was going to go to the rally. Oh, they reached out to yeah. you. Oh. So I, I heard about the rally and I was going to go because I wanted to go to a Trump rally and just see what the... Oh, I told you on Twitter too. Was it you as well? But then, um, but then I, I decided, saw that. I decided I'd rather come here and talk to you and actually see you in person because okay. I prefer these yeah. in-person interviews. But I, I, so in terms of clemency, I mean, it is tough. I'm sure there's lots of people Very uh, who are looking to the president for clemency. But one of the interesting things about Trump is that he is interested in prison reform. Yes, he's he's shown that he pushed the first step back through. He's very happy that he gave commutation to Alice Johnson, who was also accused of drug dealing and murder for hire, by the way. And that was dropped in her case, too, because this is one of their favorite little tricks. So, and he's, he's uh, also pardoned other drug offenders. I don't know. I, he, sh- he seems to like to help people out this way. And so but and I have a heart for it. But he's also, you know, for all his criticisms, mm-hmm. and there are many, and I agree with a lot of them, he sometimes does appear to be rational. It appears that he understands that the cost of keeping nonviolent people in prison is disproportionate. Absolutely. And one of the other really interesting things about following you for the last two years and getting to know you is, and it's a complicated one because obviously you would love to change the past. You do not want yeah. Ross in prison. But at the same time, it's given you a different purpose in life because 
you don't just campaign for Ross. No. You are now a campaigner for prison reform. Absolutely. Well, you can't go in there year after year and get to know them, the families, and see the children and the pain that's being inflicted on them and know that, that statistically they're more likely to end up there themselves, that there's feeding this horrible machine that's making money and grabbing power and not really helping anything. How could we possibly forget those people? You know, it's, it's, this is really a disgrace. Our country, sh- United States of America, should not be the largest incarcerator in the world. 2.4 million, is it, or something oh, like God. that? God. You know, something like that. But also, the, the, it's not just the number, it's how they're incarcerated as well. I remember you telling me about the hotel team. Um, and <laughs> They love euphemisms. Well, and one of the things that I found very concerning is that you can commit a crime in one prison, one state, and you can be moved to a, another state prison, which is hundreds of miles away from your family. Oh, yeah which is distressing for your partner, it could be distressing for your children. And look, and I understand if you're a, you're a murderer or rapist have done something very seriously, so be it. But if you've committed a non-violent, low-level crime, to be moved that away from, far away from your family is, is unproductive and distressing. And as you said, it feeds the system. Yeah, and not everybody. I mean, we have an internet business. Our, you know, I don't... Uh, we lost our house a long time ago. We, I can just move around following Ross. I mean, this, this is my third place to be. And that's a sacrifice, and it's tough, you know, uh, to go to new new places. But I feel like it's so important for him to have that lifeline, have that visiting. And so many of these people are just warehoused and forgotten, and it's it's horrible. And they are nonviolent. And you know, hey, look, is ten years enough? Is twenty years enough? Do we have to have life or virtual life? I think it's over two hundred thousand people serving virtual life. They're going to die in there. That's what that means. Their sentence isn't strictly life, but they're going to die in there. But one of the biggest problems for reform is the Prison Guards Association, the lobbying Oh, yeah, group, they're yes. one of the biggest lobbyists against legalization. So is the police unions. And it's a jobs program, big time. Because it would devastate communities built around prisons. Well, that and, yeah, a lot of people would have to get a different kind of line of work. And those three places, uh, New York, Austin, and here now in Tucson? That I've lived? Yeah. And Colorado. And Colorado. Well, so, I was in Austin when it happened, so moved from Austin, yeah. So, Let's talk about prison itself because, again, Ross is not a violent person. He's a pacifist. And <laughs> the prison he was in in Colorado, was that the uh, – I remember you explained to me. I can't remember the time. Well, it's it, – oh, is, it, well, it is it a max? It's a maximum. He's in yeah. a maximum now, but it's very different. The one in Colorado, Florence, is the site of the Supermax. Mm-hmm. And – where he was was the next level, step down from the supermax, where they put their most violent gangs, dangerous criminals, and others all mixed together. And so there's a lot of violence there. You know, there were stabbings, there were murders, there were beatings, there were all the time. They had lockdowns constantly. So here Ross is there just because of his life sentence. They're not, they, when he came in, they go, what are you doing in here? They couldn't even, they were like, what? Because his security level, which is how dangerous he is, would put him in a camp, even with his charges. I mean, there's no violence whatsoever. But that's where he went. And for a year and a half, Ross had to deal with, was thrust into this situation and had to deal with being in this kind of environment. And he did it. But what happened ultimately, was he refused to assault, be involved in an assault on another prisoner, and that means you're a target next. You will get beaten. 
So he had to volunteer himself into protective custody, protective custody yeah. which essentially is an eight by 10 metal box with no window. He was in there for three and a half months. And then thankfully he was moved to Tucson and Tucson is where they move people who are going to be a target in the system. And so it's, it's not violent. It's people who are being violence is being inflicted upon. So it's a very different environment, thankfully. He was quite liked in the Colorado yeah. prison, wasn't yeah, he? He, he was, was quite popular because he was, because he's smart. He was, wasn't he helping other people? Yeah, he helped. Oh, absolutely. He got along. You know, the thing is, Ross is very likable. He's very, has a big heart. I mean, he was a friend with a gang leader. Of course, here I am. I'm like, I brought him up to have a good peer group, blah, blah, blah. And now he's, you know, it's like, but he says, mom, gang leaders are people too. You know, I, he, Helped them write letters. He helped read over things. He helped explain things. You know, he's got a, he's highly educated, and a lot of people in there are not, and so he did. And 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 uh, some of the guys who are in there are much more experienced. Watched out for him, but he also didn't get involved in a lot of the dramas that are in prison, like you know, drugs and running up gambling debts and things like that that lead to fights. You know, he's smart enough. He well, he wouldn't want to anyway. But you know, he he yeah, he managed. And and mm-hmm. so now he's now in Tucson. Mm-hmm. What does he have access to and what restrictions does he have? Uh, he can go outside uh-huh. uh, at certain times. Maximum, you don't get to go anywhere you want at any time. They have certain moves where you can move and they're scheduled. So, you you know, he has it all timed. So he goes outside, can walk at the track and stuff like that. He can play some sports inside also. He's joined a band and is learning the bass guitar. Nice. They're actually putting on a concert this weekend. For wow. the other prisoners, yeah. I mean, it's it, yeah, it's it's good, and um, he has books, and he reads and writes, and um, I mean, for a while he was studying artificial intelligence and physics, and of course the law. He doesn't watch TV or um, he, he tries to be very productive. Not that he never does, but I mean, you know, I don't, and I don't blame guys who do because it's an escape. But um, he doesn't. He tries to stay very constructive. He works out. Plays Go. He's he's got a student of that he's teaching Go, and the student's getting really good. So he's is that the like checkers kind of yeah, Japanese it's Chinese, game, Chinese game, and it's super hard. Apparently, yes. I don't know anything about it. It's but. the one they um, one of the AI computers they taught oh, okay. to win at the deep deep blue or whatever the IBM machine. I've, I can't remember, but I heard about mm-hmm. this. I know of the game. Okay, and he meditates. Oh, and of course he meditates. Yes. He meditates an hour every day. He um, also meets with a guy who they talk about the Bible. He read the only book he was allowed to have in the um, shoe where he was in Florence was a Bible, so he was mm-hmm. reading the entire Bible. Is he religious? I would say he he talks about his faith in the uh, five steps, and I would say he's not some. I didn't raise them my kids to go to church, but now I would say he definitely has a strong faith, and it's helping him to get through this. Okay. Um, how's his mental state? So I, um, I interviewed Charlie Shrem, who mm-hmm. you will know of. Who mm-hmm. also, I've met Charlie, sure. Yeah, good guy. He's also been to prison. And, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> and that affected him a lot. One of the biggest problems he had was pure boredom. Terribly boring. Yeah. Yes. One thing is Ross does have a few friends who are quite intelligent in this last this one, so it's better levels of conversation. I mean... A lot, like I said, a lot of the people in the other prison, and that's part of why they're in there. I think is that they don't have the education. But there's a lot of people in where he's now that are to do. His mental state is okay. Um, yeah, I mean, he, like I was saying, it's tough. 
but Ross is very intentionally positive, intentionally keeping himself healthy mentally, physically, emotionally. Okay. And you get, you'll get to see plenty of them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I moved here, especially because the phone calls are so limited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how is that time with him these oh, days? Oh, it's usually great. I mean, Ross and I get along great. You know, sometimes it's intense because we're talking about different things about his case, but I'm always happy to see him. He's always happy to see me. And we have, um, yeah, it's good. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about the future. Mm-hmm. Obviously, clemency is the option you're fighting for. You've managed yes. to build some success in building a network of people around you who support you. Yeah, that's been the silver lining is in, uh, all the great people I've gotten to know, including yourself, who I never would have met. I just want Ross to meet you all. Yeah. But really incredible people who are so great and so principled and are in it a lot mostly for that because they believe in freedom. You know, some people help me that are personal friends, but mostly it's it's people who see this as a cause for freedom and against this oppression that's going on. Ross himself has a firm belief that maybe one day he will be out. Yes, we're optimistic. I mean, you know, we have hope. You can't give that up. Mm-hmm. You know, we do have hope. Does he talk about... It's people and paperwork. It's possible. It's not like I want to literally move a mountain from here to here. It's someone signing a piece of paper or putting in the right paperwork from wherever, you know. Does he talk about what he would like to do? Yeah, I mean, he said that, for one thing, he would be committed to, to working for criminal justice reform because of what he's seen and the, the, what's hap- happening to people in our prisons and in our justice system. And then, I, like I was saying, I think he would really get involved and in, in interested in lots of interesting things about cryptocurrency. And, you know, he's a scientist. He's a, he's a phys- he was trained in physics. He's not a computer programmer, by the way. So I don't know what he would do, but I'm sure it'd be interesting. He's a very creative thinker. <laughs> Too creative when he was young. <laughs> but anyway. Um, one of the things I can imagine is that quite a toll on the family you know, I'm aware, obviously, of you have a daughter. I think she's in Australia. She's in Australia. Yeah, yeah and we've we've spoken as well. Yeah. I think on Facebook or email. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me about the impact on the family and and you know yourself? Because I, I'm imagining there's lots of things that go through your mind. Like you'd love to see Ross get married. You would yeah. love to be a grandmother. Absolutely. And. <laughs> But also there must yes. have been serious financial impact. What what yes. what has the impact yes. been on you? Because this this is will impact everyone when they lose a family into the system. Absolutely. It's it's devastating. And I was warned in the beginning, they go, This is a long haul. You've got to know that this is gonna be, you know, really a tough road and it really, really is. And it's you know, look, just in regular life, it's hard to stay positive sometimes. It's hard to not get upset about things. To have this overlay, the stress of it is intense. I ended up in the hospital. I've ended up, I've had some real challenges, and I think because of this stress. And I have to, I'm really trying to work at a balance because it, <laughs> it's, um, I can't keep, I mean, I want to constantly be doing what I can do, but at the same time, I, I got to work at a balance, and and Ross really wants me to, too. And that's true for his dad, for his sister. It's it's been really, really tough. It's like a death, only you have to keep fighting for the person because they're not dead, and desperately. And um, it does. It takes a a huge toll on families. I, I talked to a woman at the prison. She said her kids were getting straight A's before 
their dad was arrested, and now the whole thing's falling apart. This is a common, common story. It's very tough. One of the last things I want to cover with you is that not everybody is empathetic to to Ross's plight and his cause. You know, I've battled people on Twitter. Yeah, I appreciate uh, it. Thank you. But I've seen the feedback. What do you say to people who will respond to this and listen to this and say, well, he did create a website for, you know, people to buy drugs and he did commit a crime and and surely there's more important things that I could focus my time Mm -hmm. on. Why should I care about Ross? Mm Mm-hmm. I've often thought, like, if I weren't his mother and I heard about the case and I heard about him having a double life sentence, what would I think? And I absolutely would think this is outrageous. This is way too much. It's just people should care about this sentence because it sets a precedent in our country that for excessive sentencing, absolutely not. And um, the other thing is, you know, (laughs) yeah, it's so draconian. It's so draconian. And yeah, we can argue about, I'm not, hey, look, I'm not defending Silk Road particularly. I'm not, certainly not defending drugs or any of that. But let's look at this sentence and what good is it doing and what it's costing monetarily. The taxpayers have spent billions of dollars keeping nonviolent people in cages. It's crazy. So, um, you know, of course, a lot of the people that do say these negative things are totally misinformed, including a politician that you... She ended up taking down her tweets, I think, because you... Yeah. And she was, like, making I, up stuff I couldn't believe. I fucking... Oh, sorry. I swear in there, but I fucking went after her. She was You a, did. It was great. What was she? She was... She's uh, in Massachusetts. I can't yeah, remember her name. She was a, a, a congressional nomin. Yeah. She was going for Congress for yeah, Democrats some, and yeah. saying she was a Bitcoin supporter. And then had some anti-Ross tweets, and I, I big time, man. Like she was spreading ridiculous stuff. Well, I, I offered her an interview, and she said ah. she wanted it. Oh, okay. And then she came back, and I can't remember exactly what happened. So I just called her out on it, and then she deleted them all. Yeah, but that did. just shows how what bullshit politicians exactly. are. Exactly. She, you know, she <laughs> had true. an opinion, and she changed it because she wants votes. And exactly. that's the problem with the political system: is everything is vote seeking. She did the whole thing for votes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Listen, you have my full support forever. Thank you. If you want to go and talk somewhere and you're too tired, you can send me instead. Um, you will always have my support. <laughs> I might take you up on that, so be careful. It's, well, I'm, I'm, I'm over here a lot, but no, you will always have my yeah. support. Thank you. Know, you. Th- this is personal to me because of you know, my mother and yeah. you know, just the weird chain of events that means we're sat here. But I care about it. This isn't... Uh, let, let me explain this and I hope you understand. I care about it, this not because I ultimately care about Ross. I care about this because... Well, yeah, you don't know him. It, yeah. Well, no, no, it's not even that. It's, it's, I mean, I feel like I know him a little bit, but yeah. I care about it because of what it means for the entire prison system and the mm-hmm. butterfly effect of so many people being in prison, the impact on children's, families, stress, finances, finances. I know there are certain people that should be in prison, and I know there are certain people that it has a burdensome cost on so many people and so much of society that... Prison reform is worth fighting for. Absolutely. And for me, Ross's case is just one of many. It is, but it's high profile, and we're yeah. hoping it'll shine a light on it, you yes. know, and by speaking out. it's that's Ross and I both want that. So if people are listening to this, if they want to find out more information or they want to support you, where would you recommend they go? Uh, freeross.org, our website. And at the bottom, there's a footer. You can get in touch with me directly. If you want to help in your state or overall with the uh, people showing up at rallies it's a big job i've got a national campaign i'm trying to do and it's basically me and a couple of 
volunteers <laughs> that, you know. So that'd be awesome. Please sign the petition and share it. And any political connections that anyone has, please let me know. We need to get the attention of President Trump and have him see how unjust the sentence is, what a terrible precedent it sets, and um, how unnecessary it is. And hopefully he will commute Ross's sentence. Well, you have my support forever. You Thank are a friend you. now. Yes, I love absolutely. seeing you. And, uh, Great to see you too. Anything you ever need, you can reach out to me. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Defiance. I do hope you enjoyed this interview with Lynn and hopefully this will shed some more light on the case and keep it truthful as it is often sensationalised and misreported upon. Specifically, there's a couple of things that I'm always batting back on Twitter. You know, Firstly, that Ross ordered a hit on people, that he ordered murder for hire. Now, this has been debunked many times and also the state of Maryland dropped these charges. So it's quite frustrating to have to debunk these all the times. And also, secondly, that the website allowed for the sale of child porn. This was actually banned by the website. The website did have a set of rules about the things you can and can't have on the website so usually when i'm trying to support ross's case and talk about free ross online these responses always come back to me and i'm always fighting them so hopefully that's helpful with that if you're not aware of the case and you want to find out more please do head over to freeross.com and sign the petition also my previous two interviews with lynn and the railroaded docu-series about the case are available on my other show what bitcoin did and are linked in the show notes just want to close out just say a big thanks to lynn i'm absolutely a massive fan of her watching her the last couple of years just campaigning for ross but also campaigning for prison reform has been you know pretty amazing so look support lynn and let's help free ross also i need to say a big thanks to my sponsor kraken the best place to buy bitcoin consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange kraken puts the power in your hands to buy sell and trade bitcoin find out more at kraken.com also if you want to support the show there's a number of things you can do please leave me a review on itunes and subscribe to the show follow the show on social media or share it out with your friends and family if you have any questions about the show then please feel free to email me on peter at defiance.news 